Well, if you have your copy of God's Word, would you please open to Hebrews chapter 12. And as you open there, let me just say my thanks to Dustin and Susan for being wonderful hosts. It's a great privilege to be with you, to open God's Word with you. My wife and I are both California natives, so we are glad to be back in the homelands, although it's a little brown here in California. Uh, This morning, I'm just so pleased, though, to read this wonderful passage with you. Let's read it now, Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who adjourned from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. You may have a seat. Allow me to pray briefly. Lord, as we come to your word, I pray that you give us eyes to see and ears to hear. And Lord, I do pray that the fruit of our time considering your word, that we would love and esteem the Lord Jesus more, in whose name we pray. Amen. So the title of today's sermon is Endurance Needed. I hope you're familiar with this passage. It's a popular one. And in many ways, it's, it's rather simple. It's not very hard to understand, but even though it's simple, I would say it's one of the more profound passages in the New Testament. And what this passage that we just read makes clear is that the Christian life can be compared to a marathon. Now, I'm no expert in running races, but I think I can venture enough to say that A marathon is very much unlike a sprint. A sprint is where you run as fast as you can for a short distance. But in a marathon, you need to train for that endurance. You need to have that stamina. And it is the latter that the author of Hebrews refers the Christian life to as a marathon. It is a long race in which endurance is needed. And as we just read in verse 1, he says that we must run the race that is set before us. And what's interesting about that is that our Christian race, although we are headed towards the same destination, at times looks different. Our brothers and sisters in parts of the world where they are under threat and persecution for their faith, their Christian race is going to be different than ours. You, who live in California, your race is going to be even different than the race that I run in Washington. And just interpersonally, we all have different circumstances and trials and temptations that makes all of the uniqueness of our Christian life and journey not exactly similar to one another. But yet with all of the differences, here is one thing that I do promise you is the same. Is that we all at some point will have the temptation to lose endurance. We all even have temptations to just give up in our Christian race. Life is hard. The Christian life, if you haven't heard this, hear it here first, does include suffering. And so the author of Hebrews wants to make sure that his readers understand that they need endurance. Really, this passage can be summarized in a well-known children's story, the tortoise and the hare. If you remember this story, I always kind of think of the rabbit and the turtle, but the hare starts off really well. He's, he's running fast. 
but he gets distracted. He takes a nap. He visits some friends. But it's that tortoise, that faithful one foot in front of the other, that faithful stamina of endurance, where he ends well. And this is why the author of Hebrews even wrote this, or maybe he preached this sermon. It's because these Jewish Christians had heard the gospel. They had heard about the Messiah, who did not come to be a military commander. Rather, he came to be a sin sacrifice. They began well. They entered the Christian race with joy. They were willing to forego the confiscation of their property for the sake of Christ. But persecution came in. They were marginalized for their faith. And they had this temptation in their Christian race to revert back to Judaism. At least in Judaism, we were well respected. At least in Judaism, we could just live a normal life and people weren't against us. But man, this following the Messiah and Jesus brings trouble. And so they started well, but their temptation was to revert. And so in many ways, the whole book of Hebrews is really this big argument of saying, why is Christ better than Judaism? Christ is better than the angels. He's better than all the prophets. He's the better Moses. The entire Old Testament sacrificial system was just a shadow, but Christ is the substance. Christ is the once and for all sacrifice for all sin. And so he understands, the author of Hebrews, though, that they need more than just an argument. What we all need, what they needed, is we need faith to run the Christian journey. And this is why in Hebrews 11, we have this very famous passage, and, and he gives a definition of faith. If you look in your Bibles at Hebrews 11.1, 1, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And so all through Hebrews 11, what he does, he gives story, an example of Old Testament saints who lived that life of faith well. And so just as it was with these first century Christians running their race, tempted to lose endurance, we have the same temptation. We live in a world in which if you don't recognize isn't always very friendly to the Christian faith. And maybe you're someone here this morning, I, I don't pretend to know all of you very well, but maybe you're here this morning and, and you feel that an antagonistic spirit against your faith and, and it tempts you to kind of maybe shrink back. Well, endurance is needed. Maybe you've been through a challenging season of trials and discouragements and, and, and job loss and, and you're just tempted to kind of stall in your Christian growth. Endurance is needed. Maybe you're someone here and you love the approval and the praise of others. And what others think of you is more important than living true to God's word. Endurance is needed. I, I could list no shortage of temptations to us all with our Christian endurance. And, and, and I should also say, some of you here, you are running well. And praise God, what encouragement you are to all of us. But even for you, you need to know that we want you to hear this sermon and to be encouraged to continue to endure well. So whoever you are, hopefully we all can agree that endurance in the Christian life is needed. 
And so my time this morning, what I'd like to communicate, if you're a note taker, here's the main point coming right at you. Very simple, not too complicated. To run our race with endurance, we must have the right focus. If we are going to not just begin well, but also end well, we need to develop the right focus. And what the author of Hebrews does in these three verses for us is he gives us three ways that we can have that focus that we endure well in our Christian life. And I'll give you these points up front. First, we are to look back for encouragement. Secondly, we are to look out for obstacles. And thirdly, and most importantly, we are to look up to Christ. Let me say those again. We look back for encouragement, we look out for obstacles, and we look up to Christ. So those are your three buckets. Look back, look out, and look up. Let's consider these now. First way we develop the right focus for endurance is that we look back for encouragement. Would you please look back down at your copy of God's Word, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses... Again, the author here has just given example after example of faithful Old Testament saints who have lived their lives well. And his point in doing that is to bolster up their encouragement. He wants them to know that there are people who have lived before them who have also had the need for endurance, who have gone through difficult trials and temptations, and yet they endured He wants them to have real practical examples of people who live that life of faith. And so, friend, let me just tell you right now, the Lord means for you to run your Christian race with encouragement. He does not want us to always have this dark cloud of discouragement. He he means for us to run with people around us who are cheering us on. And so this is why he wants them to say, remember Moses. How Moses would rather be mistreated with the people of God rather than enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He says, remember Rahab the prostitute who did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Again, he just, there's no shortage here. And let me just read a little bit. He goes on to say, For time would fail me to tell you of all those who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, who were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to fight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. But some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they may rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with a sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy. All of this, we are to look back and remember, to be encouraged in our own race. And how much more is this point valuable for us Christians who are living 2,000 years since the resurrection. We don't just have the Old Testament saints. We have 2,000 years of church history. We have the early church fathers, the good popes. We have the reformers. We have scores of countless missionaries and pastors who, who we can read about, who were living in evil and dark times and who are still shining bright for the Lord Jesus. 
If I could just lift one quick application out of what I'm saying here, be someone who reads missionary biographies. Let me tell you something. Missionaries are ordinary people like me and you, I promise, okay? If you are encouraged by a missionary, be encouraged with the work that the Lord is doing in their lives. But at the same time, missionaries provide such inspiration and encouragement that they suffer and they give so much. And if, I'll, I'll give you one example because I, I love it. And I'm, I'm at a Baptist church, and so it seems good to talk about a Baptist missionary. The Life of Adoniram Judson to the Golden Shore, wonderful book. But, but to consider all of what they suffered to bring the gospel just to see a few Burmese people come to know Christ. To look back. There's a temptation in all of us. When we are running our Christian race, we think that the trials and temptations are unique to us, that we're the only ones who've experienced hardships. And that's just not true. God wants us to look to past saints and be encouraged. If you know me, you know that I really like golf. And sometimes in golf, it gets kind of slow at a tee box, and there develops like a number of people who are kind of watching your tee shot. And sometimes people kind of buckle under the pressure. But if someone were to tell me, hey, Aaron, you're going to go golfing at Torrey Pines tomorrow, and on the first tee, Tiger Woods and Jordan Spieth are going to be there watching you. I'm not going to go up to the first tee and just kind of nonchalantly, you know, tee up my ball and not really think about it. I'm going to stand up tall. I'm going to be motivated. Now, I, I still might slice it out of bounds in the water or something like that. That, that might probably happen. But at the same time, I'm going to try. I'm going to stand up tall. And that's really the, the, the kind of point that the author is making here. Imagine this Colosseum of, of Moses and King David and Elijah the prophet sitting there cheering you on in your Christian race. It kind of gives you that encouragement to stand tall. I can do this. And so the first way which we develop the right focus is we look back for encouragement. And God has given us examples that we can look to for our encouragement. More than this, he goes on, and really in the heart of the passage, secondly, he tells us that we should look out for obstacles. If you look back down at your Bible, he says in, in the middle of verse 1, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And so really here is where he begins to talk about how the Christian life is a metaphor, like a race. And if you imagine, uh, you know, an Olympic runner running a race with a lot of weights on him, he's not going to run well. And so he gives two different obstacles that we need to be aware of in our Christian race. And the first is he mentions what he just says here in the ESV, every weight. And these are the things that I would say are, are, are not necessarily bad things. They are, they are good things in and of themselves. But for our own Christian race, for some reason, though, they, they, they bog us down spiritually. So every weight here is not referring to sins these are things that I would say could be characterized as friendships, associations, events, a place, a habit, a pleasure, a movie, or a show. Things that aren't necessarily bad, but for our own Christian race, they slow us down spiritually. And, and right here, I need to be very careful because there's a point here where we can be very legalistic. There's a sense in which... For me, it might not be helpful to watch a certain show, and therefore the temptation is to think that this must be true for every other Christian. And so I go around telling people, you better not do that if you're going to be a good Christian. Well, let's remember, 
You are to run your race. I'm running my race, okay? But to maybe give a good illustration, when I was in college, my roommate one time brought back an Xbox. Now, at the time I was in college, I, I was kind of on my high horse. I made fun of people who played video games. That's what we did in junior high. Haven't we grown up? Let's get past the video game thing. But he brought it in, and um, I saw him playing, and I just decided one day, okay, I'll, I'll play a game or two. Community. That was actually more fun than I thought it was. And so I played another and another. And next thing you know, Greek class. Oh, we're just going over noun paradigms. I can miss today. I know those already. Chapel. I think I have four more cuts. I can miss chapel. And, and slowly, there, there became this kind of, I wouldn't say addiction, that's probably too strong of a word, but this fixation on video games. And it wasn't like an automatic thing, but I slowly began to realize, hey, this is actually bogging me down. This is really getting in the way of my studies and my time with the Lord. And so, are video games wrong? Absolutely not. But for me, in my season of life, that was something that I needed to put away, lay aside, because it was slowing me down. Social media, our phones, screens. I think we all need to be just aware of how much time do we spend before a screen. It would be wise to consider that this afternoon. But more on, he goes on to say that we should also lay aside every sin. And really, he gives a good definition of sin. He says, sin which clings so Closely, And is that not an apt description of sin? That sin clings closely? That if you give sin an inch, it takes a yard. I'm just going to look at this one time. I'm just going to fudge the tax numbers a little bit. I'm just going to do this one thing just this once. The next thing you know, you're doing something that you said you'd never do again. You're becoming someone that you said you never would become. Sin clings closely. In Hebrews 3.13, the author earlier, he's kind of already made this point in the book. He says, but exhort one another every day as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Christians are people who take sin seriously. And to be clear, the type of sins that he's talking about here is what we would refer to as besetting sins. These are the sins that are unique to you, that kind of come up a lot. What are the sins in your own personal life that always seem to kind of get the best of you? I encourage you to, to think about this in your own life. What are those sins that easily entangle you? Is it envy? Covetousness? Are you someone who's overly critical? Laziness, pornography, lust, lying. Whatever sin it is, what we're being told here is that we must strip it off. We are people who repent from sin. Especially for Christians, we, are, we recognize that this is the reason why Christ came to earth, to die for our sins as a substitute. How much more for those who've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, who would look at the vileness of sin and turn from it, to see that this was the very thing that caused my, my best friend, my Savior, to die. 
how much more should I rid myself of sin? So I, I hope you understand that this is a very simple metaphor, right? Again, imagine you're about to start a 26.2-mile run, and right before you start, someone gives you a backpack, they unzip it, they put a 50-pound weight, and they zip it up. You're not going to run well. You're going to run out of endurance. You're going you're to run out of stamina. And so it is when it comes to the idols of our heart, the sins that cling closely to us. If we are to run with endurance, we must look out for these obstacles. I encourage you this morning, when you go home today, talk to someone about this. And maybe even ask them, what are the things that you see in my life that are really distracting me? Find someone this week where you confess these things about, hey, this sin in my life, this is really slowing me down in my journey with Christ. Would you help me? And so as Kent Hughes would say when commenting on this passage, he's, he comments very soberly. He says, all it takes is one sin or one hindrance to sabotage the runner's soul. So be warned, Christian. Sin clings closely. Take it seriously. Be killing it or it'll be killing you. And so as we properly divest from obstacles, as we find the encouragement from past saints, the author of Hebrew now comes to the most important thing we do to have the right perspective for our endurance. And lastly, we are to see that we are to positively run our race with endurance by looking up to Christ. Would you look down at verse 2? He says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. What an amazing verse. I'm not sure how your pastor feels, but there's times where I feel just woefully inadequate to comment on, on verses like these. What, what just an amazing verse. And so consider what John Newton says when he was reflecting on this verse. He says, looking unto Jesus... The duty, the privilege, the safety, the unspeakable happiness of a believer are all compromised, are all comprised in that one sentence. Looking unto Jesus. Let us pray that the eyes of our faith and understanding may be opened and strengthened, and let us fix our whole regard upon him. I, I just love how he says that. The unspeakable happiness of a believer is all comprised in this one sentence. Looking unto Jesus. And so what do we look up to Christ for? Well, two things. First, we are to look up to Christ as the foundation of our faith. The foundation of our faith. My Bible here says that Jesus was the founder. Another good word there would be author or pioneer. Really, Jesus here is kind of, kind of, communicating that Jesus is the one who is the person who got us to the starting line. Jesus is the one who bestows our faith. Jesus is the source of our faith. Without Jesus, we wouldn't have a faith. And so in many ways, I don't want you to hear this sermon that your endurance in the Christian life all relies upon you or your effort or your wit or I'm just going to try harder. That actually wouldn't be a Christian message. Really, the good news of the gospel it is that it's Christ who has saved us it is Christ by his spirit who is saving us, and it is Christ who will save us. As we would sing in the famous words of Amazing Grace, through many 
dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Tis grace has brought me safe this far, and grace that will lead us home. And so the good news, again, is that once saved, always persevering. Jesus is the one who is truly working out our salvation. Yes, we play our part. Yes, we do the things that we are called to do in Scripture. But we have to understand that looking unto Christ means that we are putting our whole faith in regard, not in how much we have a hold of Jesus, but rather in his hold of us. If you ever want to say it better, just quote Spurgeon. Allow me to do that now. Remember, therefore, it is not your hold of Christ that saves you. It is Christ. It is not your joy in Christ that saves you. It is Christ. It is not even faith in Christ, though that be the instrument. It is Christ's blood and merits. Therefore, look not so much to your hand with which you are grasping Christ, but as to Christ. Look, look not to your hope, but to Jesus, the source of your hope. Look not to your faith, but to Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. We shall never find happiness by looking at our prayers, our doings, our feelings. It is what Jesus is, not what we are, that gives rest to the soul. Amen? And so in our Christian race, this is the focus we must have. Completely centered, fixed on Christ. In Hebrews 13.21, he would say, that the, May the God of peace equip you with everything that you may do his will. God is the one who equips. So not just is Jesus the, the, the foundation, but he also says that he's the perfecter of our faith. Jesus was the one where he said it is his bread, his food to do the will of his Father. Jesus is the one who lived that full life of faith. He gives the full expression of what it means to be someone who lives by faith. Jesus Christ is the crowning example of someone who puts their full trust in God. He is the one who, as we would say, perfected faith. And so therefore, really, the kind of point that he's making here is unlike the point that I'm making. If you remember, the third point I said is that we should look up to Christ. But what does the author of Hebrews say? Look down. He says in verse 2, he says, looking unto what? I don't know if you guys talk to your preachers, but you can talk to me. Um, verse 2, looking to who? Looking to Jesus. Now, that's an important observation because by him saying looking to Jesus, what he's emphasizing, he's emphasizing the humanity of Jesus. And by emphasizing the humanity of Jesus, really what he's trying to say is that Jesus, in his humanity, provided you an example of your life of faith. And so when you remember Christ, when you fix on Christ, when you think about his earthly life, you have a perfect example of what it looks like to be someone who is faithfully living their Christian race. And really, if you want to understand the full weight of this passage, it's really seen here in verse 2 in three words. Endured the cross. Endured the cross. The physical pain of crucifixion, the isolation, the abandonment, 
But much worse, the, the spiritual pain that Jesus experienced while hanging there naked on a tree, the fact that he experienced an eternity of hells as he took the full load of our sin. And while on the cross, Jesus didn't just kind of passively cope his way through it. It's like he was just trying to count his way till he finally died. It says here that he endured it with joy. Very interesting expression. He says, despising the shame. In essence, that, that expression he's saying is, Jesus didn't think about all the shame and the torture and the pain. That wasn't his focus while he endured the cross. Rather, when Jesus endured the cross, he had joy. He endured the greatest trial of his life with joy. Why? How? Our passage says because he knew his future exaltation, that he would be seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus, while hanging there on the cross, knew what his future exaltation meant. He knew that it was heaven's homecoming. He knew that he would be reunited with his father. He knew what his future exaltation meant for his people, that he would be the redeemer of many sons and daughters. Jesus, while hanging there on the tree, enduring it with joy, knew that he would be our great high priest who would ever live and plead for us. And this is the example we can have. This is why he summarizes it in verse 3. He says, consider him, like behold him, think about him, who endured from sinners such hostility against himself. Why? That you may not grow weary are faint-hearted in your life of faith. This weary or faint-heartedness is the imagery of an athlete who's just spending all of their energy and they just collapse out of exhaustion. They ran out of stamina. And so in order for us to have this endurance, to faithfully follow Christ, to not just start well, but to end well, we look to Christ to his example of how he endured. We look to the same joy and the same attitude and mind of Christ that these present sufferings are not worth to be compared to the glory that awaits us. This is what faith is, and this is what Jesus modeled for us. Jesus, our Lord, had the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things yet not seen. And so however you would describe your Christian race right now, maybe you've flatlined. Maybe you've kind of went from a good pace to a slow little jog. Or maybe you're running well. Maybe you're, that second point, you're like, yeah, I'm, I'm bogged down with some sins and some weights right now. Here's the encouragement I have for you. Look to Christ. Behold your Savior. Remind yourself again of Christ and the treasure he is to you. Remind yourself that your sin is paid for, that you have resurrection and eternal life. Remind yourself again of your high priest who lived that perfect life of faith for you. And so as we look to Christ and we consider him, this is where we will find our strength and our example to continue to run with endurance. And so really, like I said in the introduction, this is a simple passage, but it's so profound because really here is the thrust of this passage. 
that our whole life must be fully absorbed with Jesus. Being fully absorbed with Jesus means that we turn away from those things that would distract us or slow us down. And positively, it means that we focus on the finished work of the Lord Jesus. And when we focus on Jesus, here is, here is the goal that the Lord has for you, that you would become like the Lord Jesus. That you would also run your race with endurance and with joy. So I was told last night that Del Cerro Baptist Church is 60-ish years old. God has done a work in this church. I'm sure it's a lot of different people, different pastors. But yet God has allowed for this church to have a witness in this community. How does Del Cerro Baptist Church continue for the next 60 years to continue to endure? How do you how do I continue to run our race well? Well, I hope you know the answer to that. You look back for encouragement. You look out for obstacles. And most importantly, and absolutely central, you look to Christ, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the great salvation we have in Christ. God, that we are saved by grace alone. Lord, we do pray that by your spirit, you would give us faith and courage to run our race well. God, I do pray that you give us faith to confess sin frequently, to repent. That you give us even the faith and courage to Find people to keep us accountable. Lord, most importantly, I pray that you keep this church, these saints here, their focus would never turn away from Christ. But their love, their esteem, their joy, their treasure, the endurance they need in the Christian life is all found in the greatest gift you have given us, the Lord Jesus. So, Lord, forgive us for the times where we are bogged down. Forgive us, Lord, for when we do have sins and weights. But, Lord, for every one look we take at ourselves, may we take nine looks to the Lord Jesus and the perfect righteousness that he gives us through faith. Thank you, Lord, for the promise of resurrection, for the promise of eternal life. And, God, thank you for this church. Thank you for these three wonderful pastors. I pray for their ministry, God. I pray that they would continue to be steadfast on Christ, that they would not put their confidence in themselves, but they would put their confidence in your word. And so, Lord, bless this church with the vision of Christ that leads them to endure well. I pray all these things in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen.